Uh, great. Happy New Year from me too, uh, to you all. Um, I never know how long you can go on saying that, so I think a week. That's it. That's the last time I'm going to say Happy New Year to anybody. So Happy New Year. It'll be Christmas soon, don't worry. Uh, good. It'll be very helpful if you have uh, Matthew chapter 13 and 14 open, probably. Uh, you don't have to, but you may find it useful to be able to uh, see what it is for yourself. Uh, that's page 980. Uh, receiving what you've longed for. I wonder if you've ever longed for something and uh, then you've experienced the joy of receiving it. Uh, there was some of this in the vicarage uh, some years ago now uh, as the girls awaited the arrival of the puppy. Uh, the puppy arrived, everything was great, lots of interest and happiness. Because seven years on, they've all cleared off and I have to walk the thing now. Um, but anyway, receiving what you've longed for. Uh, in Nazareth, in verse 57, we read that the people of Nazareth took offence at Jesus. Literally, the people of Jesus' hometown stumbled over him. That's the, the word used. There was no going forward with him. They stumbled. They've seen and heard everything that Jesus has been doing. They asked the question, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They've seen what he said and done. But they won't honour him or follow him. Why? Well, it seems that they already know about Jesus. Look at verses 55 and 56. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? On his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. On all his sisters with us. They know what they know about the Lord Jesus already. This wisdom and power clearly aren't really his. We know who he is and they stumble. They don't make any forward progress with the Lord Jesus as he comes back to his hometown. Now, some of, those, some, some of those people who have never believed in Jesus still do this with him. Uh, you mention Jesus in some kind of conversation or some context, and they already know what they need to know about him. Sometimes it feels like offering them uh, some kind of box or present, and it's like they already know what's in it, so they don't bother opening it. That's what many people do. They might say that Jesus was a good teacher and helped many people in need. And that's all they know they need to know. But we can do similar things as believing Christians. 
those who've gathered as Christian people this morning. I mean, we're the people who've opened the box and we've explored a bit what's inside. We're seeking to honour Jesus. We're honouring Jesus for who we know he is. And to be honest, sometimes we slip into feeling that we know all that we need to know about the Lord Jesus. We know enough of what is in the box, enough for us anyway. And that's a lot, lot more than a lot of other people know about the Lord Jesus. And so we, just like those in Nazareth, we kind of know what, all we need to know. We're not going to look any deeper into the Lord Jesus. I mean, whether it's an unbeliever doing this or it's us doing this, uh, it's only like God's people throughout the whole Old Testament. God would send a prophet to the home nation and very, very many of the people wouldn't listen. They wouldn't look more closely. They already knew what they needed to know for them in their life the way they wanted it. But what happens when we're like this towards the Lord Jesus? What happens when we know that we know enough already? What we know is what we need to know. There's nothing more. Well, there's an outworking of a principle which Jesus gave us in the previous chapter. It's in chapter 13, verse 12. You can work, turn back a page if you wish. Here's the principle that will be at work. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is exactly the principle worked out in Nazareth. They took offence at him. Jesus said, a prophet is not without uh, honour except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. There's the principle worked out. Those who have will receive in abundance. Those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. If you already know all you need to know about Jesus, don't expect more revelation of Jesus and his power. If you already know everything you need to know, why expect more revelation from him? If what you see and hear about Jesus is never enough to change what you already know about Jesus, well, Jesus seems to say that in the end you'll stop seeing and believing at all. It's very dangerous to become content with what we know about Jesus. Contentment with what we already know about Jesus means unbelievers and believers alike, we will stop seeing anything more. 
Now, this is partly because we don't, uh, we don't always remember how rich and deep the treasure found in the Lord Jesus Christ is. How rich and deep. Uh, and we will never exhaust our understanding of him. How rich and deep he is as the Son of God amongst us. Well, Herod didn't understand how deep this treasure was either in the Lord Jesus in the second half of our passage. Herod already knows about Jesus. He knows what he needs to know. In fact, Herod knows that Jesus isn't Jesus at all. Jesus is actually John the Baptist, risen from the dead. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Herod already knows what he needs to know about Jesus, not Jesus at all. John the Baptist risen from the dead. So Herod thinks that his problem is a prophet who just keeps coming back. That's the last thing that Herod wants because he had a long history with John the Baptist. The last thing Herod wanted was John the Baptist coming back to nag him again and again. Because John had kept telling Herod, verse 4, that his marriage to his brother's wife was immoral, which it was. And so Herod wanted John silenced, so he put him in prison. He actually wanted him dead. But at this point, he's only in prison. Then the wife gets involved, and then John is permanently silenced. Verse 10, and had John beheaded in the prison. This, again, is very reminiscent of Old Testament Israel. Uh, Some of you will remember King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel, and the prophet Elijah. And John the Baptist is painted like an Elijah figure in the New Testament. And the king wouldn't listen to the prophet. And Jezebel made Elijah's life a complete misery. But here it goes further, God's prophet is silenced for good by the king and his wife. Notice Herod is called king in verse 9, but he's actually no king at all in reality. So Herod thinks that his problem is that the prophet has come back. And if we look at Herod, we discover there is something more valuable to him, more valuable than God's word to him, more valuable than what God has to say. Because in verse 5, he doesn't kill John because of what people will think. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. So in verse 5, he doesn't kill John because of what people will think. But in verse 9, he does kill John because of what people will think. 
the king was distressed, and, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. See how morally confused he is? Because the thing he values most is what people think of him. So it doesn't matter whether he keep, doesn't kill him or does kill him. Because the thing most valuable to him is what other people think. That's classic idolatry. In between, in verse 7, he makes this oath. That's driven by exactly the same idol. But in this case, it's what Herodias' daughter will think of him. He makes the oath because he wants Herodias' daughter to like him at least as much as he liked her when she was dancing for him. It's sordid. But what people think is more valuable to Herod than what God says. And actually, whenever God is silenced like this, it's because something else is seen as more valuable. Again, uh, people who don't follow Christ um, try to silence Jesus all the time. You try getting Jesus into the public political debate explicitly. Uh, some of you will have read some of the kickback over how strongly Christian the coronation service was this last year. So there are, there are unbelievers, of course, who uh, try to silence Christ, but we Christians do it as well. Obviously, we want to listen to Jesus because we're Christians, but we silence him on certain issues. That's how we do it. So some of his moral teachings, perhaps, we might ignore certain passages, bits of the Bible that we don't particularly like. And very often we're exactly like Herod. It's what people will think of us that drives those choices. It might be a family member whose lifestyle goes against Christian teaching. Now, that, that can be a very painful situation to negotiate. And I know some of you wrestle with that yourselves. I'm not talking about how we keep loving and serving patiently everyone in any situation. The danger for us as Christians is because our relationship with that family member is so valuable we might be tempted to silence God's word on that issue and let go of our convictions and ignore what God says. It might be a relationship that we ourselves are pursuing which we know displeases God. But the relationship is so valuable to us that we ignore Jesus and his word. So we silence God on that matter and carry on on our own course. It might be career choices or sporting choices or all sorts of life choices that are so valuable to us that there is no opportunity left to see and hear 
all that Jesus said and did. We remove those opportunities from our life by the choices that we make. And so in effect, we silence Jesus in our lives. See, the same principle is at work for Herod. And for unbelievers who exclude Jesus and for believers who silence him on certain issues. Whoever has will be given more and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And so it's worked out for Herod. Verse 10, he had John beheaded in the prison. He, the word of God is taken from him. He does it himself, but it's the principle that Jesus taught being worked out. Which bit of scripture, which prophet, which apostle, which Bible passages are you cutting out and putting on a platter because of what your mates think? Of course, Herod had half the problem right. Uh, the prophet who keeps coming back. Um, he might have known how God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet in the Old Testament to his people. So somehow God has been, uh, John has been sent back by God. Um, Herod thinks. But Herod's real problem is not John. Herod's real problem is that God has now sent Jesus. That's who the initial reports are about. This time, God himself has come. That's what we've been thinking about at Christmas time. God has come as a man in the flesh, the prophet. Herod had silenced John. John was the one who pointed people to Jesus. Herod has silenced John, but here is the real problem. For anyone who wants to silence Jesus, when they tried that, when they did that, when they crucified him, he did come back. He did truly rise from the dead. Herod's kind of halfway there. But the true prophet is Jesus, and he did rise from the dead. There is a resurrected Jesus who keeps coming at us in the message of the gospel. And he keeps coming in the message of the gospel until he will come and we will see him face to face. That's the problem for the people of Nazareth. It's the problem for Herod. And it's the problem for us that if we think we already know all we need to know about Jesus, or that if there is something more valuable to us than Jesus and his words, well, the real Jesus, he keeps coming. Whoever has will be given more. 
But if we're like Nazareth or Herod or think we, we know all we need to know about Jesus or there's something more valuable than even what you have will be taken. It's quite a stern warning, um, this passage, isn't it? But there's a wonderful invitation in it too. Rather than stumbling or silencing, there is a wisdom and a power found here that is worth relying on. There is someone wiser and more powerful and more valuable than anyone else. Matthew has written his gospel in such a way that we can say, how could there be anyone more valuable than Jesus? Think about it, right at the beginning. I mean, it's convenient, we've just done Christmas. But he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. The life, wisdom and power of God is he. Incomparably unique in his person the Lord Jesus. How could there be someone more valuable than him? Someone to look to more? Someone who could be more help? Secondly, the way Matthew's written his gospel proves the value of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is um, perfectly fulfilling all of God's purposes. That sounds like it might be from a theology book, but there we go. Perfectly fulfilling all of God's purposes. It's the way Matthew has told his story. Jesus is reliving the whole Old Testament narrative. If you think of the Old Testament uh, as a rough draft of some great musical work, you can imagine all the bits and papers and scribblings and stuff all around and from, those, from that rough draft comes a perfect, complete, and finished work. Well, that's how the Old Testament and the Lord Jesus fit together. All of the Old Testament is just getting ready for the Lord Jesus. And we've seen that in the way that Matthew's told his, uh, written his gospel. We've seen a better Moses coming out of Egypt, giving a new law from the mountain in the Sermon of the Mount, a better deliverance from sin for his people. We've seen a better Joshua leading a better conquest, not conquest of a land, but the full defeat of all God's enemies, evil, sickness and death. We've seen a better Solomon bringing better wisdom and rest to live by and to enjoy for eternity. And in this next section, we'll be seeing Jesus as the better prophet amongst bad kings and authorities. It's not the people who you expect who will follow him. Those who should have known better don't follow him. It's a divided kingdom with a faithful remnant. It's the next part of the Old Testament story as Jesus lives out that rough draft, rough draft in perfection 
and completion. The whole Old Testament was getting ready to sing this great story of this most valuable saviour. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, fulfilling all of God's purposes. And really, without needing to understand the technicalities of how Jesus' death worked, uh, penal substitutionary atonement, for instance, an excellent doctrine that you should understand and pursue, but even without understanding all that, just the fact that Jesus died and rose again must make him more valuable, important, significant than anyone else that you could know or follow. Who could possibly take his place? Jesus alone is Lord. And in love, he keeps coming at us with his good news. He is the prophet who will not go away because he is risen from the dead and one day we'll see him face to face. Maybe you feel Jesus is the problem person who just keeps nagging at you. That's his love for you. Let's not be content with what we know about him. And let's not let anything become more valuable to him than his wisdom and power. Sorry, more valuable to us than his wisdom or power. We've seen the principle in chapter 13, verse 12. There's another one in verse 16 of chapter 13. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What has been longed for in all of God's purposes is now right out in the open in the Lord Jesus. A puppy is a trivial thing to long for compared to him. And if you will see, and if you will hear, and if you'll look and listen to Jesus and don't stumble or try and silence him at any point, but long for him to lead you, then Jesus says, blessed are you. To be blessed is for you and your relationship with God to be fully restored. What an invitation that is in the midst of the warning. Nazareth and Herod, they're there to tell us, don't be like them. Well, how can we fulfill that longing? Well, pursue every opportunity we can. Pursue every opportunity we can to hear and see the wisdom and power 
of Jesus. Do you remember this man? Also in chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. That's the invitation that's before us. From this Lord Jesus, the one conceived by the Spirit, fulfilling all God's purposes, risen from the dead. How will you fulfill that longing? Pursue every opportunity we can. Pray for this, for yourself. We'll do that in a moment as I close. We'll pray for this kind of longing and growth in ourselves in Jesus. Read with others. Be accountable. Read Jesus' wisdom and power. Tell somebody this morning you're going to read, I don't know, Luke's Gospel over the next two weeks and tell them to ask you in two weeks' time whether you've read it. Be accountable to people for making sure that we're fulfilling this longing. Um, be prepped for Sunday. Um, read the passages before we come to see the wisdom and power of Jesus so that together we will grow in him. Ask any questions that you have. What is it about, how can you grow? What do you need to know more about when it comes to the Lord Jesus? Ask those questions after the service. Ask them in home groups. Ask them of anybody. Because as Jesus said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Let's pray together. Uh, we could pray this prayer for today, for this week, for this year, uh, for our whole lives. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, make us those who long to see and hear the wisdom and power of Jesus. And as those who have, give us an abundance. In his name, amen.